Potties and Potties. I have to say I'm pretty excited because uh, tonight, close encounters with two of my uh, cultural heroes. The second of them is the marvellous Paul Robeson. But how best to introduce the first? Here's a thought. Judy Dench for Saigon, Year of the Cat, Maggie Smith for Mrs. Silly, Coral Brown for An Englishman Abroad, and Blair Brown for Kennedy. It's my old friend, Coral Brown. Your Royal Highness, ladies and gentlemen, I know what you're all thinking. I've heard of the other nominees, Judy, Maggie, possibly even Blair. But who the f*** is Coral Brown? Who indeed? Well, let me set the scene. It's 1984. The BAFTA Awards in London and uh, Judy and Maggie, both up for Best Actress, as you heard, but pipping them at the post is an Australian star whose name seems to have been forgotten. Not by me, I hasten to add, as I've been a devotee for decades. Coral Brown, with an E, won the BAFTA for the wonderful film An Englishman Abroad, one of my all-time favourites. A high point in an illustrious career for the woman who was equally renowned for her elegance, her designer clobber, her um, sexual dalliances and her talent for profanity. Now, with me tonight are three women who are honouring her life and work. Maureen Sherlock is a playwright who's written widely for both the stage and telly. She was last on LNL about heavens above 20 years ago with her husband Rob George to discuss their play Lovers and Haters, the turbulent times of Don Dunstan. Maureen has now written a play called Coral Brown, the effing lady, which has received rave reviews in London, Melbourne and Adelaide and Maureen joins us from our Adelaide studios. It's been a long time, but welcome back, Maureen. Thank you, Philip. With Maureen in Adelaide is actor Genevieve Moy, whose credits include Frontline, Rosehaven, Rake and more. She's received gongs at uh, quite a few international film festivals and she plays the role of Coral in Maureen's play and will play her again in the upcoming film to be made about by Maureen's daughter, Charlotte George, who joins us from our studio in Melbourne. Genevieve, Charlotte, welcome. Maureen, let's start with you. How did you come across Coral? Well, I'd never heard of her. I'll preface preface it with that. Uh, but I, I love uh, showbiz biogs. And I was reading, oh, I think it was Judy Dench, Maggie Smith, Peter Finch, a couple of others, and they all mentioned the outrageous Australian actress Coral Brown. And I'd never heard of her, so I did a bit of uh, Googling, as you do these days, and I discovered that her memorabilia was at the Performing Arts Collection in Melbourne. So I contacted them and arranged to check it all out and got there and they brought up from the stacks uh, uh, over a dozen sort of brown archive boxes that held no, it, there was there was no indication of, of the 
beauty that was going to be within these brown cardboard boxes. And uh, in there, there's uh, photographs, there's letters, letters from her mother, which is a whole whole play in itself, love letters from her various lovers. There's scrapbooks that her father dutifully kept back in Melbourne about her as her career was forming. It was just a treasure trove. It was just fantastic. So you wrote a play about her, a one-woman show, and uh, Genevieve Moy, how did you come to play this remarkable woman? <laughs> Well, Philip, um, there was a lovely lady living next door to me, Penny DeBell, and she's a friend of Maureen's, and she suggested to Maureen that I might be suitable for the play. So we went and had coffee and um, we just hit it off, as they say, and then started the process. And it was just magical. It was it was just a fantastic journey to create this woman who's just so outrageous. And- I do have to say that, Cora, that Genevieve took a huge leap of faith by agreeing to be involved in the project because when I met with her for coffee and cake, I hadn't written the play. All I had was these this reams and reams of research and I knew I had to do something with it. I love research and uh, you've got to know when to stop. And so I had to draw a line underneath it and decide what I was going to do with it. But I couldn't imagine, I didn't know anyone in Adelaide who could possibly pull off this role until Penny mentioned that Genevieve Moy was living in Adelaide. (laughs) And I thought, my goodness, she's the one. And Charlotte, my daughter, encouraged me to contact Genevieve and uh, she said, of course you'd be interested. Who wouldn't be interested in a one-woman play? <laughs> and, okay, uh, well, her life begins, minus the E on Brown, in, a, well, in a very, very working-class suburb dominated by smelly factories. <laughs> and I meant, I speak, of course, of Footscray. Yes, she was, uh, she was born in Footscray. Her mother was very snobbish and decided that Coral was not going to have a Footscray accent and (laughs) sent her to elocution lessons. Yes, but her mother, as you point out, was very much a a hyacinth bouquet, wasn't she? Oh, Oh, very much so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, perfect. Yeah, she she didn't feel at home in Footscray and it wasn't until many years later when they moved to Kew that she had discovered she found her people. But yeah, she was she was a huge snob. Coral's dad worked for the railway tea rooms, but she always referred to him as a restaurateur. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fabulous. So she starts working in the theatre at the Playhouse in, uh, of Loving Memory in Melbourne. Mm. And mm. this is a thing we're going to repeat, gets her first role by accident. Absolutely, because she was painting the set, because she was actually, she started out um, wanting to train to be an artist, and while she was painting the set, one of the um, actresses fell ill, and she was asked to take over the role, which she did, and she went from there, really. She And that happened to her many times, Philip, that she kind of fell into the role because somebody had been unwell. Well, God, obviously, God was a fan, <laughs> <laughs> more, as, as indeed am I, more of that later, but Genevieve, this sort of sets the tone for her, the rest of her acting life because <laughs> she has a, an interesting repertoire. 
extremely interesting repertoire because essentially she was playing sort of vamps, floozies, trollops, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of set the tone for the rest of her acting life. And she and in the play she says, and for my real life. So she was very much the, the sort of um, experimenter and very brave in her sexual exploits. Now, how did she get to London, Maureen? Well, she she was given a ticket for her 21st birthday. Her parents, that was their surprise to give her this ticket to London. They didn't think that she was ever going to make it. So they thought, let's get this, let's get this out of her system. She had this return boat trip to London. Uh, the one... <laughs> the one fly in the ointment was that mother came too, um, <laughs> but uh, but Coral soon uh, dumped mother by getting an understudy role in a touring theatre company. Mm. And so once again, God intervenes. God intervened because uh, when the touring company moved onto the West End, the leading lady fell <laughs> ill. <laughs> And who is this? You don't think there's an undiscovered backstory here with that, you know, Cole was slipping the mickeys. No, she had nothing to do with anybody's illness. <laughs> now, Genevieve, it was there she in reinvents herself, doesn't she? Yes, absolutely. She she kind of absorbs the culture. She she's incredible at promoting herself. She sends back all her information at anything she's doing back to the Australian press. She has this idea that she must, because she's not English, she must actually promote herself in regards to where she's seen and how she's dressed. And so any of the leading men she'd been working with, she would go to the the, the celebrity events to promote those events. And um, she got herself into the press and she looked amazing because she couldn't eat, because she couldn't afford it. So, But of course, this was the time of our cultural cringe and the pommies looked down on us. Oh, incredibly. Because that's where her sort of uh, bawdy wit, her kind of uh, real earthed kind of quality comes because she knows she has to compete with that kind of class system. So she makes sure she speaks perfectly with a, a beautiful <laughs> accent and, and gets away with it until she's actually not um, considered and then she uses her Australian accent. <laughs> now, she's soon performing with the likes of uh, Judy Dench and uh, within a decade she's getting big money. Oh, yes. Yes, she makes... Well, during the war, that's when she really starts making her money because she works for a theatre company, Shepherd Bush. Uh, Shepherd Firth, sorry. Yeah, Firth Shepherd. Firth Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> and she was having an affair with Firth Shepherd and referred to herself as Shepherd's Bush. Bush. <laughs> Um, so she really did... This, this uh, is a family program. Yeah, it is. <laughs> of course oh, it sorry. is. Yes. yes, Shepherd's Bush. It's a nice bush. It's in the garden. Um, <laughs> but she she actually um, found money to promote works and uh, did hundreds of plays and and had some fantastic roles during that time. So that, that really set the scene for her technical agility. Well, talking about her agility, she's having very agile affairs with uh, the likes of Douglas Fairbanks Jr., <laughs> my <laughs> other hero this evening, Paul Robeson, Jack oh, Buchanan, yes. Cecil uh -huh. Beaton, I find that a bit surprising, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Rex Harrison. She cast a wide net. She did. Oh, did she do it? <laughs> 
<laughs> Maureen, would... I guess that her affair with Robeson had to remain a bit hush hush. Oh, totally. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, we're talking the thirties here, mm. mid thirties. Mm. So not quite as open as we are these days about interracial relationships. Not to mention the fact that he was married, of course. Mm. Uh, so that made it very, very hush hush. But he was ardent in the performing arts collection that uh, where I found all these. Uh, archive boxes, she has kept her telegrams and love letters from all of these guys that she was having affairs with. So I was able Can to handle... Can you imagine what they'd bring at Christie's or oh, Sotheby's? Yeah. Oh, gosh, They'd be yes. worth squillions. Yes, yeah. And, uh, I mean, there's there's scribbled notes from Paul Robeson saying, I can't stand this. It's been three days since I've seen you. I'm sending this via a messenger. Please respond immediately. And you can just, <laughs> you can just feel the tension. But yes, it's it's just amazing to be able to go and hold these mm. notes and letters and cards that she kept, which is interesting. This is, I mean, she's kept them from the 30s. Now, Maureen, she also had affairs with women. This is speculated. Mm. There's nothing in the archives that mentions that, but I have read... Victoria Price's biography of her dad, and she does mention that Victoria Price came out to her dad and she feels that Coral being there made it a lot easier for her because she said to her that she had been through the same thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it wasn't useful for her career in the 30s to come out as gay or bisexual. She was obviously... Bisexual. When when Coral was near death, the local priest asked Vincent if she had any favourite hymns. <laughs> and Vincent said, yes, she had some favourite hymns. She had quite a few hers as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fabulous. OK. Now, I, there are so many great stories you've discovered, Maureen. Oh, God, One yes. of my absolute favourites is concerns Douglas Fairbanks Jr. being into numerology. Tell us the story of Coral Brown's E. Well, she did a film with uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. where she was the vamp, the floozy. (laughs) She gets her comeuppance. And uh, obviously, as is her wont, she had an affair with him. He just, his marriage with Joan Crawford had just finished because of her affair with, oh. Clark Gable. Clark Gable. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So he was, he was hot to trot and uh, she was happy to reciprocate. (laughs) And uh, he didn't feel that Coral Brown was a name to see, you'd see in lights. So he actually suggested that Coral Brun, B-R-U-N, <laughs> would, would be better. But it turned out there was a German uh, actress called Coral Brun. So then because of his numerology, he decided that she needed an extra letter and an E on the end would bring her luck. And it seems to have worked. It did. <laughs> now, this leads us to something I had absolutely no knowledge of, and that is she she gets the rights to yes. a quite yeah, significant absolutely. work. Yes, she, she gets the rights to The Man Who Came, the man to, who came to Dinner. dinner. Yeah. yeah, and uh, she tried to persuade her lover at the time, Firth Shepherd, who ran the Savoy Theatre where Coral was in residence for most of the 40s. She lived in the Savoy Hotel and performed in the Savoy Theatre all during the war years and after. And uh, she tried to persuade Firth that The Man Who Came to Dinner would be a, a fabulous play to put on. It had already been a hit on Broadway. and he didn't think it would work in the UK. So she got 
money, money from, from her dentist. From her dentist, <laughs> yes. She got investors in this project and she mounted it. And Robert Morley was the man who came to dinner. And uh, it ran for eighteen months. It did, and uh, and of course, uh, subsequent productions because she had the rights, she was getting the royalties. Okay, so. from Footscray to Shepherd's Bush, and now let's go. <laughs> now let's go to Hollywood, Maureen. How does this happen? She actually was touring America with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I think. Yes, yeah, and she was um, she was performing in New York, and she was wearing a voluminous blonde wig in this role. And uh, the story about the wig is interesting, Genevieve. <laughs> well, the, the, she had this huge wig that was quite high and the, the director said, um, how does it feel, Coral? And she said, well, I feel like I'm looking out of a yuck's arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> the blonde wig may not seem relevant, but it is because the <laughs> casting director... Uh, of Auntie Mame saw her performance in New York and uh, offered her the role. And and so she was very excited and uh, came to Hollywood. And when she rolled up on set, they discovered that actually she had dark hair. And uh, they were... Huge alarm went through the production because she was due to be on set the next day. And, of course, Rosalind Russell, who played Auntie Mae, mm. had dark hair and they wanted Coral to be her blonde. foil as a blonde. She was playing her best friend. So there was madness. They took Coral off to uh, have her hair bleached and she woke up the next day, which was production day, her first day on set, and discovered that all her hair had fallen out overnight. <laughs> so she had blonde locks on her pillow, bald head, rolled up to the production. <laughs> so they made her some wonderful little hats to wear, little little um, things, that, and they had curly blonde bits poking out. And until they were able to actually conjure up a realistic-looking blonde wig, which is what she then wore. Now, let's punctuate proceedings by hearing a, a little grab of Coral playing the dipsomaniel Vera. Vera! Vera. Vera. Vera, I am about to be attacked by the Knickerbocker Bank. Oh, that's lovely. Vera! That oriental sandman let me sleep in my best channel. He tried to get it off you, but you bit him. Patrick's trustee, some hideous man from the Knickerbocker Bank, is about to descend upon me like a vulture and rob me of my child. But he's coming here in the middle of the night. Oh, that moon's bright. Vera, will you stop being silly? Don't you realize I have got to make the right impression? You have no idea how conservative the Knickerbocker Bank is. It's so conservative oh. they don't pay any interest at all. Right, now let's get organised. That's uh, a fragment of uh, of Coral playing Vera in Auntie Mame and I'm talking to three women who are telling the tale, the impossible tale of her life. <laughs> Genevieve uh, playing the role of Vera was one of those cases of life uh, imitating life. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, she, she was incredibly um, versatile as a performer and versatile in her life, obviously, with, in relationship terms. But yes, incredibly adaptable and brave. Now, this takes us to a, a something I still remember, the killing of Sister George. This mm. is, what, 1968. And this involves 
the first lesbian love scene in a mainstream film. Fill us in, Genevieve. Well, it was fascinating because she was some... It was the first mainstream film with a a lesbian love scene and the director told them from the start that he couldn't write the scene. So he said to them both, well, just make it up as you go along. (laughs) And Susanna York was quite terrified of this whole thing, but um, Coral kept putting her straight. Susanna York kept trying to eat grapes to try and settle her nerves. Um, But Coral kept sort of putting her into this very distressed state by twiddling her nipples, (laughs) trying to (laughs) seduce her. Um, And it it is just uh, hilarious. (laughs) Let's let's eavesdrop. Here's uh, Coral playing Mercy Croft. If you'd only stop to think, you'd realise that another very good reason for your being dismissed from the Applehurst series was your complete inability to conduct yourself in a decent, civilised fashion. You don't even... And furthermore, if you lose your little girl, it's because you're a dreary, inadequate, drunken old bag. Look at yourself, you pathetic old dyke. You don't seriously imagine that you're any young girl's dream of bliss, do you? Maureen, she uh, plays a lot of roles on Broadway. She toured with roles that went to Broadway, so with the Royal Shakespeare Company, which is where she was discovered for uh, Auntie Mame. When she moved to Hollywood, she did a few plays that went to Broadway, but I don't think they were huge successes. That was later in her life. But she performed everywhere. Mm. She had a disastrous season on the West End in London of a play called Nina. She actually replaced another actress at the last (laughs) minute again, and it wasn't very well received. In fact, one of the reviews said Coral Brown has flopped, basically. I refuse to accept this part of the story. We'll we'll, we'll edit that out. (laughs) Now, Maureen, how does she meet the lugubrious Vincent Price. Oh, the gorgeous Vincent Price. Well, they they were cast in a movie together. Theatre of Blood. Theatre of Blood, in which uh, Vincent plays a Shakespearean actor who gets very bad reviews from all the local critics. So he decides he's going to knock them off one by one in the same manner of the play in which he was badly reviewed. So... Coral is one of the reviewers, one of the critics, and uh, he knocks her off by (laughs) pretending to be a hairdresser. She has a hairdressing appointment. (laughs) She rolls up to the appointment. Her regular hairdresser isn't available, but there's this very camp guy with a huge afro and big sunglasses, (laughs) and he he will do her today. And um, she's sitting under the hairdryer chatting to him, and uh, she is electrocuted under the hairdryer. And, of course, that's Vincent Price, and that's how they met. Well, of course, Vincent was a master of horror. I still recall the 3D film House of Wax. Oh, right. <laughs> and I notice it's available on Netflix at the moment. Now, so Coral marries Vincent very late in their lives. Yes, mm. yes, Coral is 69 and 
Uh, oh no! Well, uh, no, my, she's fifty-nine. She's fifty-nine, 59. And, she's he, 59. and he is, and he is sixty-two. 62. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, it was a uh, a love match late in life, but it, I believe it was a real love match. What she didn't realise was that he was married at the time, and they and had to wait for him to divorce. And it was all a bit messy because children were involved, and she wasn't she wasn't happy about breaking up a happy home. But it wasn't a happy home. He was not happy. I love the quote of hers. I married Vincent Price very late in both our lives. It was chiefly because, even if Vincent can be a bit moody and frightening at times, loneliness is even more frightening. Mm. Without a husband, even an actress doesn't get invited out much. Maureen Coral and Vincent have dinner with the playwright Alan Bennett and this is going to lead to a very important story. Yes, Coral was recalling her tour to Moscow and Leningrad that she made with what became the Royal Shakespeare Company back in 1958. And during that tour, she had a visitor to her dressing room in Moscow. A very, very dishevelled man came back to her dressing room at interval and immediately threw up in her sink because he was absolutely plastered. And uh, (laughs) he wanted to catch up with the guy playing Hamlet, who was Michael Redgrave, and they'd been to university together. And it turned out that this was Guy... Burgess. Burgess. One of the 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 Cambridge spies. One of the Cambridge spies. And he asked Coral to lunch to make up for his... (laughs) unfortunate vomiting in her sink, he thought he'd make up and invite her to lunch at his um, apartment because, of course, he was living in Moscow because he was chucked out. Well, he had to leave England when it was revealed he was a spy. Mm. And what happens next, Genevieve? Well, she turns up to lunch and um, he asks her to come to lunch with a measuring tape. And um, she said, I don't know what that was for. Maybe we were eating that. But um, he, he just offered a tomato and a grapefruit for lunch. But he wanted her to measure him for a Savile Row suit that he wanted made in London. And she she was to take the measurements back to London and have those suits made because uh, he couldn't get the suits that he wanted in the fitting that he needed in uh, Moscow. Well, Moscow, <laughs> Moscow and the Communist Party was notorious for very bad suits. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> really ugly. But it was it was a lovely it's a fantastic story because they had lunch and then um, he had he couldn't leave the apartment until he had got a phone call, so um, he played her a beautiful record of something that she knew and she was just felt it was very ironic um, that they were sitting there at Christmas time with this very lonely man in Moscow who was obviously completely lost. And the record he played her, the only record he had, the only one he'd brought from the UK was Jack Buchanan. And, one, uh, of her, one of her erstwhile lovers. Indeed. Yes. In fact, the lover that she was expecting would marry her. I've discussed this story in the past with Alan Bennett when he was on the program because, uh, as I said earlier, I, I regard, you know, An Englishman Abroad as a masterpiece and it's on my very, very short list of favourite films. Pauline Kael, I note with surprise, was also rapturous about it. But he was the perfect writer, wasn't he? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So he writes this marvellous, marvellous play and it's directed by one of the all-time great directors and uh, 
It's the story that wins the BAFTA award. Where we started, yes. <laughs> the ba- yeah, the BAFTA award for Coral. But, I mean, sadly, just before filming was about to begin on An Englishman Abroad, Coral was told that she had breast cancer. So she went into the filming knowing that as soon as it was finished, she would have to um, go into hospital. Well, of course, I had no idea of that, but yes. I remember being very impressed that she, you know, he's a woman in her late 60s playing herself at 45. Exactly. Mm. It was just an amazing, I mean, it, for her, I think it was just a, a new lease of life for her because moving to um, Hollywood with Vincent, she wasn't getting the parts that she wanted, that she hoped to get for an actor of her stature. And for Alan Bennett to offer it to her, I think was just I mean, the greatest... Gift. The greatest gift, yeah, greatest gift of friendship that um, could be made, I think. Pauline Kale could be an, a monster in her reviews and I've just found her quote about uh, the, an Englishman abroad. It's probably the finest hour of television I've ever seen and I think that's an understatement. Genevieve, it must have been a riot to play her. <laughs> It was. It was a riot and it was also quite terrifying at times. Um, So really, it's kind of like um, the best opportunity for a middle-aged actor um, because you really have to uh, hit your straps. You have to use all your technical capacities to actually bring this, this woman to the fore. And what was wonderful was actually... When you're in the zone, as they say, uh, she kind of takes over. You're kind of a medium in a way for her. So here you are channeling her in effect. Mm, And so you had to learn to channel that great comedic timing. Yes, well, the the beautiful play that Maureen has built and and written it was so acute was such a, a fantastic bedrock um, for me as a performer because it's just you've got to get into the rhythm you've got to find the kind of quick change the sort of chameleon quality that she had in her life and you just have to keep the speed going because you don't want the audience to go to sleep so it's a kind of um, fantastic thing to do. It My audience wonder- almost invariably goes to sleep, but uh, <laughs> I, I have to get, I have to wear that. Now, Maureen, how was the play received first in Adelaide and then in London? Well, in Adelaide, it, it was incredibly well received. We got great reviews, but I think the best review we got was when Miriam Margulies came to see the show. She rolled up to the theatre, everyone's jaws just dropped (laughs) and uh, she very kindly went into the theatre first and sat in the front row centre so that people wouldn't be gawking at her and and that she would be a distraction. But she knew Coral in the 60s in London and uh, was just really keen to see the play and as soon as it finished she went marching backstage calling out, where's that girl, where's that girl? (laughs) And uh, was just so full of praise for Genevieve's performance and uh, just finding out more about Coral because she just said that, you know, she was so witty, she had such flair and naughtiness that we were able to capture in the play. 
And it was just fabulous to hear that. If someone who'd actually met Coral and Miriam said that when she first met her in the 60s, she was terrified of her. Mm-hmm. And I just can't imagine Miriam Margulies terrified <laughs> of anyone or anything. But then she met her later when Coral was ill in uh, the late 80s in um, LA and they just became huge friends and she found the, the softer side of her and the, um, and the very the good friend in her and had so much good to say about her. And in London, uh, let the record show that Vincent Price's daughter Victoria comes to see your play. Yes, she sent me a, an email saying, this f***ing lady was my stepmother. <laughs> 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 and she was uh, she it was wonderful to meet her she was so like her father so you know so elegant and uh, and softly spoken and so erudite she actually um yeah she said she found out things about coral that she didn't know it was wonderful <laughs> Charlotte George, you've been listening patiently uh, in our Melbourne studios, you're Maureen's daughter and a filmmaker. You was it your idea to make this into a film? Uh, well, I'd seen the show. There was also a season in Melbourne at 45 Downstairs, and then I saw it in uh, London as well. Um, and Coral is such a, a compelling character. But it was also uh, Tate Brady, who's the producer. When I was promoting my mum's work to my friends, because I'm a very good daughter and that's what I do, Thank um, you, he said, oh, th- I know, thanks. Um, he said, oh, Coral Brown, I've always thought, you know, she would make a terrific movie. And so Tate and I started talking about it and he said, do you think Maureen would be interested? And, um, yeah, and then mum and I started talking about, well, what would what would that movie look like? How would it have to be different from a one-woman show? What is it that works about the live stage version that we could capture in a film version, but what would have to change to tell that story in a different medium? And, yes, we went from there. And uh, it's a family affair because the other producer is Rob George, your dad. Yes. Un- unfortunately, my sister has a proper job, um, so she's not currently involved in the family business. But otherwise, yes, it's very, very family orientated. Who knows where I inherited my skills from? Now, <laughs> this is where things get complicated because uh, it's quite tricky to develop the play on the screen and you're going to use some very avant-garde technology. Yes. Well, in some ways, now is the perfect time to be making this film because there are so many incredible technological advancements that mean we can pick and choose different technology to put Genevieve into Coral's movies and into archive footage that we have of Coral. So there's just a dizzying array of ways you can do it. I mean, uh, so we made a, we were had development funding from um, Vic Screen and SAFC to rewrite the script, but also to do a little trailer um, and we sort of tried out some of the techniques in that. Um, so we're looking at deep fake, which is obviously something that gets talked about a lot in a nefarious kind of way, but um, using deep fake to turn Genevieve into coral or the other way around, uh, depending on which way you look at it. Green screen is obviously a technology that been, has been around for a long time and we'll probably use quite a lot of green screen again to put Genevieve our coral, I guess, into Coral's movies and archive footage. But there's even apps you can get on your phone where in the trailer we have a bit where Coral's, a photo of Coral's mother starts talking to her and her lips start moving. And that was on an app that we found on an iPhone. Oh, so, my God. Um, we, we, it was, it's incredible what you, can, what you can do now. We worked with a company in South Australia called Model Farm and they um, pointed us towards that app and they helped uh, with the deep fake 
technology and the green screen yeah, and then recreations as well. So we've also used a bit where from one of her very early films um, and the great thing about some early cinema is they tended to have very still camera, <laughs> just two close-ups of people talking to each other and that's easy to just kind of recreate that and you don't really need any special technology to do that. So we're hoping to use a blend of all different types, just see what is going to work in that moment to really bring the audience into Coral's world. Maureen, yesterday on the program we celebrated the 50th anniversary of Barry McKenzie hitting the uh, silver screen and that, of course, uh, is a creation of Barry Humphreys. So what we should mention is that while Coral was in LA, she and Barry become friends and he wrote a poem for her funeral. I'll come back to that, but Maureen, tell us about their friendship and what it meant to Barry. Oh, well, Barry actually credits Coral with um, with giving him the impetus to leave Australia and to try his luck first in London and then in LA. Just the example of her career and how brave she was to to do that. And it's it's just amazing that he does credit her with um with giving him that push, basically. And when they were in LA, they he became very good friends with both Coral and Vincent and was obviously devastated when she died, and wrote a very funny poem that starts off quite straight, but <laughs> but that becomes very choral. Cue Genevieve. Don't worry about the naughty bits. We'll edit, we'll bleep those out for, uh, for delicate ears. Genevieve, you're on. She left behind an emptiness, a gap, a void, a trough. The world is quite a good deal less since Coral Brown f***ed off. Her beauty and her shining wit sparkle beyond the grave. The girl who didn't give a shit, preposterously brave. And yet we also mourn for her, her genius to affront. The phony and the crashing bore, the coward and the Loyalty and love she lavished free on lowly friends and well-born, like Murdoch, Melba, and like me, she was marvellously Melbourne. Uniquely minded, queen of style, no counterfeit could coin you. Long may you make the angels smile till we all f*** off to join you. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, thank you so much for this. It's been a sheer delight. Thank you, Philip. Thank you, Philip. Thank you. And uh, best of luck with the movie. I've been talking to Genevieve Moy, actress who played Coral, to Maureen Sherlock, playwright of Coral Brown, the effing lady, and to Charlotte George, director of Coral Brown, the effing lady, a film in development. G'day, potties. If you like to learn from history's mistakes as much as we do here at uh, LNL, or you want the whole backstory on the big issues in the news, check out Rear Vision on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>